I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. After a staggering three decades as one of the industry's most sought-after models, Carolyn Murphy has walked for the world's most desirable labels, worked with the biggest names in fashion, and traveled the globe. Spotted by a scout at 15, she was the self-described bookish tomboy from a Southern military family. Fashion editors and photographers were impressed with Murphy's instinctive ability in front of the camera. Murphy said it's all about finding the art and fashion. In 1995, she landed an exclusive advertising campaign with Prada after her famed pixie haircut shot by David Sims. Carolyn's career has been defined as the all-American iconic beauty, working with the most eminent brands such as Calvin Klein, Tom Ford, Gucci, Chanel, Missoni, Tiffany's, and... She holds the longest ever Estee Lauder contract at 20 years. She has fronted campaigns for Prada, Tom Ford, Max Mara, to name a few. Carolyn has graced multiple covers of Vogue magazine, Elle, Wall Street Journal, Harper's Bazaar, W, and Time. Off-duty, Murphy is the mother of daughter Dylan Blue and prefers to be the invisible supermodel. She is known for living off the grid with a strong reverence for nature, animal rights, organic farming, ocean conservancy, and wellness. She enjoys creating art, gardening, crafting, surfing, and riding her horse. She's the ambassador for Surf Rider, the Wellness Foundation, Animal Haven, Edible Schoolyard New York, Oceans Unite, and No More Plastic. Caroline, welcome in my chair. Thank you for having me. What an intro! Wow. Sometimes when I when I hear, gosh, I forgot about a lot of that stuff. Um, but I'm kind of giggling at the uh, the scouted at 15. I don't know where this lore came from because it's incorrect. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's so funny. Everything I read, I steal from some other article that I've you know found yeah. online. Well, also, I love that they say, how old am I online? Online, I think I'm 45. So it's, yeah. you know, some, some of it I like, some of it I don't like. <laughs> but, um, so clear the record. You were I'm not gonna, scouted I'm, at, yeah, at 15. I'm going to clear the record on a couple things there. Um, so yeah, my, my parents are both from Virginia and my mother in particular was wa- raised quite properly. So the thing to do was to go to like a finishing school, but she decided to put me in this, this uh, Mary Lou's models because I was such a tomboy and I was so quiet and shy. And she's like, how can I get my daughter to come out of her shell? So she signed me up for this eight-week course. And I was miserable. I was so miserable. But that was when I was 16. And at the end of that eight-week course, there was this convention of sorts. And there were scouts there. And that is where it all happened. When I was like walking down a runway to Madonna's Vogue. Um, oh my God. I'll give you the timeline of what year it was. And then next thing I know, we the next morning we thought that it was wrong because there was a television and it would put the numbers of, of the girl because you would wear a number as you would walk on this kind of runway. And that's where it all started. But again, we thought it was wrong. I had braces. I had glasses. I was gangly. and you know, long story short, I was off to Paris between um, the summer of 11th and 12th grade, just before I entered 12th grade. So yeah, it was a little later. And I, I, I spent a month in Paris at 16, turning 17. And 
Um, was your mom with you or you went alone? You know, I lived just, my parents were so genius and, and kind of protective. They were like, well, she can only go if she lives with you, the agent. So I lived in the most gorgeous townhouse in the seventh arrondissement. I had didn't speak a lick of French. I had tried it in high school and my teacher, Mr. Hansen was like, I think you should take Spanish. It's easier. <laughs> then, then you can come back. Cause I couldn't understand the masculine, the feminine, whatever. It was just so foreign to me. Um, so, you know, I, I was really lucky because I got to live with the owner of the agency in this gorgeous apartment with her two daughters you know, needless to say, I was overwhelmed. I was freaked out. I had traveled quite extensively growing up because my father was in the military. So we lived in England for a couple of years. We would spend time in the Azores and all these other places. So it's not like I had been, not like I hadn't been out of the country, but to go on my own was a whole other world. And I was terrified. And they basically hand you a plan to Paris and say, here's some appointments go. And I, I'm surprised I lasted that month. But when I got home to start my senior year, I was like, Oh, thank God. I just want to be with my family and my friends. And so you know, that was kind of really the beginning. And I did not start modeling until I was about 20, 21 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that, that used to be considered, I don't know if it still is like old. not young, old, right. Did you feel like you, you had a disadvantage because you were getting involved so late at God, 20? No. God, no, I had my sanity and that was so mm-hmm. more that was so much more important to me was to feel like that protection, you know, that I, from, from my family. Um, so no, I never, I never really thought about age and I still don't think about age to be honest. You don't now. No, no. I mean, I'm getting closer to 50. So, I mean, I, I guess maybe I'm telling half truth, you know, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, oh my God, where did that jowl come from? Oh my God. You know, the wrinkles, the saggy, butt, all of these things that come with aging, but internally I feel like such a kid, you know, I feel like, um, you know, if I chose to focus on age, I could drive myself insane. I know what I see mm-hmm. in the mirror, but that's not necessarily related to age. Right. Absolutely. So I have a question because you're a part of a, a group of people who most people on the planet will never know how it feels unless you are a model. And I'm wondering, and this isn't condescending at all, but mm-hmm. especially when you were 20 years old, how do you make sense of your appearance and versus who you are as a person? But that, mm. you know, I, I saw you backstage at a show say, and you said, I was born under a very lucky star. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, but what first- does it feel like? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a very good question because of the projection, right? The projection of others onto you. And especially with social media, it's really created this kind of smoke and mirrors and, um, but you know, this other layer, I think it was, you know, I think it was one thing before, you know, in the nineties as a model, you would show up to work you would do your job and then, you know, you'd see the Polaroid and then you'd have the anticipation and wait till the publication came out. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was, there was this healthy separation that you, because it, there was the healthy separation because there was that moment that you had to be so present in 
right? There was no looking at the monitor. There was no, you know, computers. There was no distractions. So you were so present in that moment that when you left set, you almost kind of like wouldn't forget about it, but there was an anticipation and then it would come out later, right? The ad, the editorial would come out later. I kind of feel like that's a metaphor for how I've handled my career as a model, right? I have a healthy separation when I'm on set, I'm doing my job. I'm almost playing a character of sorts, but when I leave and yes, it is hard to shake. It's hard to shake more now because I have the upkeep of social media. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I leave there, I, I I'm done. I go home. I'm mom, I'm daughter. I'm everything else that I consider quote unquote normal. Um, I'd be remiss to say that there aren't times over the years where, you know, it's, it's gotten a little more difficult because of this constant, um, this constant publicity, you know, with, uh, with social media or, or, or over the years interviews, if you will. But, um, I don't know. I, I just, I like to think that I have a healthy separation. I think I've made an effort to have that healthy separation. Again, I started modeling much later. So maybe there's a part of that developmental process. You know, I have a strong family. Um, I, I also knew when to, to bow out. I knew if I wasn't feeling good, I knew when to say, you know what, listen, I'm, I'm going to go check out a little bit. I'm going to go live off the grid. I'm going to go take a time out. So, you know, maybe that has something to do with it as well. Well, that's really interesting because when you actually early on in your career, when you were, you know, rising in a big deal, you actually did bow out and move to Costa Rica, oh, right? Yeah, I did. You know, a lot of, okay, a lot of that was happenstance because I actually went with some, you know, girls from the industry, like other casting directors and assistants that worked with, you know, a couple of photographers. So we were just going to have kind of, you know, our version of spring break, which as you know, in the fashion industry, you, especially when you're working a lot, you don't really get those reprieves. Um, and uh -huh. back, then, back then all you had was August, right? So that was it. So that was the first vacation I think I had ever taken to go to Costa Rica with my girlfriends and guy friends and surf and, and, you know, happened to be there and to, you know, fall in love with the country itself and fall in love, you know, romantically. Um, but I had been longing for something else other than just work, work, work. I had been longing for something and I, um, you know, I was kind of good about doing volunteer work and service work, which I think is so important, but that was really what caught me was to kind of be able to, to be in Costa Rica and give back and also let loose a little bit. Um, and, and then I think there was another layer of it too, to be quite honest, where I felt like my career was just so out of control. I um, had screened for a movie with Barry Levinson, which I ended up getting and, and played this part of Dubby opposite Adrian Brody and Justin Chambers. And I really felt like kind of um, it was going way too fast. And I felt like all of a sudden I had publicists and managers and it, um, it just, it was overwhelming for me. So, and I was, I was kind of like, you know, I need to take a step back and it's too easy to get caught in that machine, right. Of people telling you how fabulous you are and how famous you can be and how wonderful it can all be. 
didn't, it didn't really feel like that to me. It felt too overwhelming and scary. So how did you, because you also have this thing that like, wow, this is an opportunity that people die for. Yeah. How, how did you give yourself permission to say, oh, that may be true, but I'm going to take time for myself. It must've felt a little scary or. Yeah, no, it did because you feel like don't bite the hand that is feeding you, right? Don't, don't give up on the opportunity. It's kind of like when I didn't, I didn't really want to model in the beginning. I just was so, you know, um, scared, you know, I really wanted to go to college. I really wanted to, to be, you know, uh, to enter into my studies and, um, that's what I'd always dreamed of. So it was kind of like my world was pivoting in this different direction. So I think, I think the big part for me is just was listening to myself, you know, listening to what my gut told me, you know, what feels right. And this is before I was even meditating. I was, I was just kind of like, you know, what feels right to me. And I had to follow that inner compass you know, I had to follow that inner voice and I, and it was really difficult to explain to people when I was turning down films, when I wasn't available for things, I was just like, I, I have to do what feels right for, for me. And it didn't always make people happy. And I did have a lot of guilt around that. A lot of guilt. Did you feel like you might be uh, giving up your career altogether? Um, at some points it felt like if I didn't do something a certain way, I might be giving it up or that I was disappointing people. Um, and I, I think I was fortunate enough to have a great agent. You know, I've been with my agent since 1995 and having that relationship is so important in the industry. And same thing with my acting agent, who is to this day, one of my best friends and our daughters grew up together. I think it's the relationships that are so important and in and that's where you become more humanized and the industry is through those close relationships and people that can actually hear you and see you. But did you I saw a video of you backstage um last night I was going on YouTube and um there's a lot of material when you're younger. Yeah. <laughs> and you seem so grounded even at you know 20 years old I was like this is the woman that I know today. Mm. And um, did you kind of come out in this way that you were just always kind of had a maturity or an old soul about yourself? Oh God, no. If you could only hear the voices in my head, it's torture. I mean, really? Oh yeah. 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 Listen, I mean, I, I want to be totally transparent that that dialogue that everybody has it's the same exists for me, right? It's the push, it's the pull, it's the should I, it's the shouldn't I. Um, and thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate, you know, that, that you, you say that, you know, that I, that I come across as grounded because I think it's so important to me. It's been kind of a fight and a battle to stay grounded. Um, but that again is a lot of, of this honor system I have to, towards myself. The, the journaling, the listening, having um, you know people that support me. Yes, a good therapist is one, um, but also you know spiritual work. You know a lot of a lot of spiritual work, and I think it's you know again finding that balance, listening to your inner voice, um, but you know. 
it's not without complications to, you know, again, disappointed people following the beat of your own drum. It's not without making mistakes either. You know, if I, you know, that intuition and and hasn't always made the best choices, right? It's hard to know when to trust your intuition and when your mind is, you know, maybe fooling you and it's just insecurity or, you know. Yeah, it is. And there was a lot of it based, a lot of decisions were based on fear and insecurity. When you're young and have so much attention on you, right? Because I think 20, you're still kind of very naive to the world in a lot of ways. What is that like to have that much um, attention and attention from people who are very powerful and big and, you know, designers and everything? Looking back, was that, how did you navigate and or was that a positive thing? Well, it's, it's, it could be good and bad. I mean, I really didn't get into my career full swing until I was about 21 or 22. I was still flying back and forth between um, DC where my grandparents lived and going to school. And so I was, I was taking baby, 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 baby steps into New York and into the industry. And I think because I knew I had something to fall back on, um, I think I knew because I had my family that I could, I could always go to school maybe there was a reprieve there, you know, like a mental kind of safety net. Mm -hmm. Um, When I met a lot of those larger than life people, to be honest, I didn't know who they were. I didn't grow up in a fashion forward family. I didn't grow up, you know, in, you know, New York or Paris. So I was learning at this, as the same time that I was trying to cultivate my own identity. right? Right. So I think that in your 20s, you're already stepping out of your home, whether you're in college, you know, you're going out into the big world and you're trying to develop your sense of self outside of those heroes that were either in your home or posters that you had on your wall, right? (laughs) Or your scribbles in your journal. Your poster on your wall of Carl Lagerfeld. (laughs) Oh, I wish. I wish. Come on. I think I had Bon Jovi print. (laughs) Right. You know, I had, you know, it's like. You know, but I did look at fashion magazines. Of course, I had, you know, all of these magazines. And I just remember, I think Nikki Taylor was like a big one for me when I would get my teen Vogue, you know, and in these magazines. So I wouldn't, I would be, you know, I definitely, you know, would look at those magazines. I think I want to look like those girls or like Cindy and Christy and Linda and the Wham, you know, music video. And, but those girls were larger than life. They were like full glamazon. I was like, I could never look like, or be those girls. Like those are, those are like larger than life women. And that's what the eighties was. Right. Yeah. You came into the newer generation. I feel like of when things started to shift from supermodel to what it became. It did. It shifted. And, you know, going back to your original question, I think that that marriage of, you know, what I was of grunge, so to speak, that kind of, you know, art and fashion and um, uniqueness um, and Kate Moss and Emma Balfour and, you know, Shalom and Amber and Kirsty and all this newer girls, everybody was so individuated. And, and that really is what kind of drew me to want to you know, challenge myself and, and to model. And, 
so when I, when I came into New York and, and came into New York kind of full swing in 93, 94, it was a very different time and it was very playful too. So when I met Mark Jacobs, he was just kind of this grungy, playful guy, you know, Anna Sweet, Todd Odom, there was a lot of playtime and there was a lot of, um, you know, was, Calvin was very serious, right? But of course I knew who Calvin Klein was. And of course the dream was like, oh my God, I want to work with Calvin. Um, and Paris and, and Milan, I didn't know who half of those people were. So I was just kind of, you know, winging it there. Was it important for you to feel like you fit in? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, you know, I would say it was kind of like high school in that way, right? It, um, it's like, you know, it was clicky. It was, um, you know, the cool girls, the not so cool girls. And Um, who were you in your, in your mind? Oh God. I was a dork. I was (laughs) total friggin' nerd and I was so shy and I observed a lot. I would observe, I would observe how the other girls were dressing. I would observe how they were, their mannerisms. And I did that out of curiosity, not because I was like single white female. I was just, (laughs) I was was an observer. And I always felt like, you know, this kind of dork that was, you know, why am I here? Like, what, what am I doing here? And, you know, I, I think I learned a lot from those great masters, you know, being around Carl, being around Mucha, I would pay attention. I'd pay attention when I was on set to like film references and book references. So then of course I would go to Vidiot's or Kim's video and, and rent, you know, you know, I'd rent, uh, you know, I'll take Manhattan or, you know, breakfast at Tiffany's. And I would, I would rent these things. So there was an education with not only the immediate people I was around, but then those references. And, um, I never really felt like I fit in entirely. And then I be kind of, kind of became known as mama Murphy. Like I became known as the one that would kind of nurture and, and take care or, or just be steady Eddie. Because you, Unlike a lot of the models at that time, maybe, I, and maybe I'm wrong, you stayed out of trouble, at least in terms of ah. the public eye. Like a lot of, you know, was it not Kate Moss and the other crew, like <laughs> having the pictures at going out at night, you, you managed to stay kind of out of that. Is that right? not, not right? Well, listen, I came from a military family, right? It was... It was always shaky ground and boy, I would beat myself up if I did roll in from the late night out to a show where I would show up to Ferretti and they'd be like, hey, Catalina, where is Kirsty? Where's Kate? You know, they start asking me where everybody was. Meanwhile, I'm like bloodshot eyes and shaking. Okay, Uh, good. So no, I was no angel. Trust me. Um, Again, I just think I had... I had a little bit more of that guilt and I could hear my military father barking at me. And, you know, it did become annoying sometimes because not only were they asking me where the other models were and and sometimes, but I just remember like, I think it was either us or Newsweek. It was Newsweek did this like kind of like top 10 models. And I think I, I was number four or five, which was great honor for me. I was like, holy cow, this was a few years later. But every every girl was titled something, and my title was the professional. Oh, and I just I, I remember wanting so badly to be cool. I wanted so badly to like 
dress like Kate, you know, or have, you know, the length and height of somebody like Shalom or, you know, just kind of like, I wanted so badly to be cool. And then, and then it was like, I remember I was told I was too pretty by one agency. That's you know, the kiss, kiss of death in fashion, by oh, the way. Literally told me, <laughs> I was like, I remember I was like, what does that mean? Like, I'm, Only I'm, in fashion can that be like a, a negative, right? I was like, Christy Turlington is the most beautiful woman I have seen in my entire life. You know, Cindy Crawford. And I remember, and it's funny, I won't, I, that the lady who told me that, you know, laughed about it many years later, but yeah, I was told I was too pretty, that I wasn't that tall, that I could maybe make some money. And I was like, what? It made no sense to me. But granted, the grunge era, everybody kind of made extra effort to look a little weird, pluck all the eyebrows off, you know, dye the hair, um, cut the bangs. So I was really happy when when things started to move, you know, a little bit more into like looking half decent. <laughs> yeah. And not like- was, was her telling you you're too pretty a way of saying you're too commercial? Probably. I mean, definitely. And I think- I think that's when I just learned to embrace it. And I did mess around with my hair color though. And I did pluck my eyebrows. I Thank don't, God they grew back. I mean, you oh, have great hair. You know. Oh my God. You, you, I remember the last time we were together just over a year ago, you were just like, I'm just putting gel on your brows. I'm just putting yeah. gel on your I'm brows. Not them in. I'm just, nope. just gel. Nope. You were like, Oh my God, they're growing back. They're great. Um, you know, but I, I did try, I experimented a out of curiosity, B out of a little bit of rebellion because I never got to do that. And, and, you know, C, I was like, well, let me see if I can make this work in my career. And then it was when I was working with Steven, Mizell, kind of a little couple years into like, you know, working more with him that I was like, I'm going to go blonde. And he was like, I think that that is a great idea because then there's this turning point in your career where you actually want to be a moneymaker. You want to be pretty because Mm -hmm. you're going to work. And that shift happened kind of mid nineties. You saw Georgina Greenville come in. You saw Carmen Cass come in. You saw like a a, a newer crop of of girls start coming in. Was that when a lot of the Russian and Brazilian models came in? Yes. Yes. So it was a time that you wanted to be pretty. You wanted to have hair. You wanted to have a tan. You wanted to look healthy. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you because I deal with this in my career. Everybody does, but no one more than models deal with rejection. Um, people who are in our industry know everybody knows, but people who are just listening, we get options. Someone calls, they, they might hold your time and say, but we're not going to confirm. Then you get released the big R word. And, um, I don't know if you ever get used to it, but how as a young model, also I'm, I'm me, but I do makeup when you're a model, it, it, it seems like hard to separate, but it's you, it's your face, it's your body that they're not rejecting you. How did you deal with the rejection? You know, rejection, I mean, at any age is awful, right? At any age, like your work and your relationships, my God, like, ugh. Um, I think it, I think it was very hard. I think, especially in the beginning, it's like, you're so wanting to get the job because 
you know, it, it kind of marks your level of success. You're wanting it for the money. You're wanting it for the travel. You're wanting it for so many different reasons, right? Because it's going to make your career. Yeah. Or one job. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's the money. Maybe you need the money to pay your rent. There were so many times where I was like, I really wanted the job because I needed to pay my rent. Um, or I wanted the job because I really wanted to go to that exotic location. And so, but, but knowing that the basis of their decision is based on the way that you look now, it could be a hair color, you know, it could be, it could be, they decided to go with a brunette or they needed somebody, but at the end of the day, you know, that they still didn't pick you and it, it stinks no matter what, you know, and the agents can give you all the reasoning. They just, the, the latest I've been getting the last few years, which is really funny and, and, and kind of doesn't make me feel so bad is they decided to go younger. <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, I'm actually okay with that. Um, that right. makes more sense. But when you're young and they're going for another contemporary, and then back then you would see it come out, it was just like, it was a hard pill to swallow for sure. Did, did it make you stronger? Did you get better at it? I think um, you you do create a resilience. You you kind of callous to it. At least I did. Um, I would. I kind of was taught by this spiritual guru or whatever, not guru, that I, but life coach I was working with back then, and and she said, you know, nobody can take away from me what is rightfully mine, or rejection is protection. So I kind of started to surmise, and maybe that's kind of my own self help weirdness, making myself feel better that it just wasn't meant to be mine, you know, mm. that it wasn't just that it just wasn't meant to be mine. Um, it's hard to know that though, when you're 20, you know, in your twenties. Well, and that was a muscle that might logically, I could tell myself, but internally there was still that pain from the, from the rejection. Um, and it happens a lot and it happened a lot and it still happens. But like I said, now it's more because they've decided to go with somebody younger and I'm okay with that. that it's easier. There's also this thing that happens with models it's almost as if it's okay to talk about a model in front of her. Like she's not a person who can hear it. Did you ever have casting directors or designers or anything talk about you, but you're in earshot? Oh, uh, oh my gosh. So many times or when they speak another language and they think you don't speak another language, because trust me, when I did go back to school, I learned, I, I, I finished Spanish and did go back to taking French. And then, um, so I did speak a little bit. I could understand the Italian. I could understand the French and, and those words would hurt. They would sting. Or what they, would it, what would it be like? You were at a, at a casting be, or mostly with the shows, right? Mostly with the shows, because that's where it was kind of like an open call. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, with the shows you'd go in and you'd wait in line for hours and you'd have your portfolio. You wouldn't, you know, it's, it was a different time back then. You'd have your little backpack, your portfolio and you'd try on something. And if you couldn't fit in it, or maybe you fit in it, or maybe it was too short and they would just kind of look at you, you know, give you the once over the up and down. Or sometimes you just walk in and they'd look at your portfolio. They'd tell you to walk and say, okay, thank you. Um, it felt horrible. It felt horrible, but it's also what you're signing up for as a model. And I'd call my parents and friends back home a lot of times crying and just saying, I can't do this, you know? And my mom would always say to me, well, then don't. It was kind of that simple. Well, then don't do it. I don't know. 
the ability to have kind of the option to leave or at least a tiny bit of your foot out of the door actually kind of protected you from getting wrapped up in in everything. Yeah, I mean, it w- it was a little bit um and I think there were times where I did. Um I maybe I wasn't overtly announcing, "Oh, I'm 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 leaving," but there were times where I would just kind of, you know, for my mental health take a step out of it. But then there was this draw creatively. I mean, at the end of the day, we could talk about all the negatives of the industry. Right. But there's so many positives. The creativity was really what fueled and sparked me. Um, the learning and and to work so closely with these, you know, these really kind of geniuses in their own right is what propelled me. I mean, that was really what propelled me the most was, um, you know, having that connection and working alongside these artists. When you're working as a model on a shoot, do you really feel like you're taking on a character? Always. At least that's what I want. I want to be given a situation. It's like, I, I always say, okay, you know, it sounds so cheesy, but you know, where are we? Who are we? But I learned from the greatest, you know, I learned from being with Steven or Penn or Newton. And it was like, to be able to have a character was not only a healthy separation for me, it's what drove me because then the actress and me could kind of take it to another place and make it more fun. And I also right. felt that was my job. I also felt it was my job as a model was to do you ask to- questions like, well, about the always. woman that they're shooting. Uh huh. Always, always. How vocal are you on set? Fact, about- well, I wasn't. I was so shy and quiet the first, you know, first few years, again, observing, you know, uh, of my career was so they, my nickname was Ducky there. And that was because I had big lips. They, they go away. They go away as you get older. You and I have talked about that. I'm like, God, my lips are just like thinning out. Um, You at least still have a lot. uh, You have a lot of lips left. There's still, there's still a little bit there, but I was just like, I was so quiet and so pouty and observing. I did not start exercising my, I guess, my input, my opinion until a few years ago, if you could believe it or not. Really? Swear to you, swear to you, because I mean, maybe there was the occasional back in the day, but I, I never looked at the monitor. I, you know, I'd look at the Polaroid, but I always felt like, oh, I'm just here to do, you know, what I'm told. And I, what I would bring was the research, you know, or, or getting into the character driven aspect of it and the fantasy of it. Um, but I, it took me time to hone my own voice and to be able to say here, you know, maybe change the light or I'm going to, I'm going to go this way, or I think I should do that. Um, that took me a really long time to develop that confidence, I think, to have an opinion. Tell me what it's like now to be modeling in your forties. Like what, like, what are the things that are different well, I think with age comes the wisdom, but also a different level of confidence, right? Mm. So in my 20s, it was just kind of like, you know, show up, do what you're told to do, you know, pay attention, ask the questions, right? Ask the questions about what, you know, what you're doing. Um, in my 30s, um, I was balancing my career and motherhood. So maybe I was a little more distracted. 
um, and prioritizing um, being a mother over my career. So I was like, okay, let's hurry up and get this done. <laughs> right. right? Um, and now in you know late 30s and my 40s it just kind of feels like the wisdom and and I'm so grateful I've always been grateful to be there I've always been grateful to to have every opportunity I I've had in my career but I think maybe there's like this explosion of gratitude because I'm like wow I'm in my 40s and I'm still working and oh my god the the girl on the runway I'm opening the show and the gr- the four girls behind me um are the same age as or younger than my own daughter right <laughs> it really yeah. is w- worth noting that for people listening that most model careers end around 24 really right? so sad I- that's I was just starting. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been told. I think that usually it's like 16, 17, and by 24, the average model has ended their career. The fact oh. that you are have worked for three decades is really an accomplishment. Well, and I have so many peers who have too, right? I think, you know, with Kate and Amber and Shalom, and like there, there are peers of mine. And I think what maybe makes us kind of have that stronghold is a, the relationships we love and we love what we do, right? There's a passion there. Um, there's a business sense that's mm-hmm. there that you have to have, like, you've got to have a business sense. You have to have an amazing agent and team along your side, um, you know, doing it. But I think it's a, it, for me, it's just been like a new level of my career. Cause I'm like, Oh, wow. I wish I would have, you know, I wish I would have not paid, not, not paid more attention, but I wish I would have been more interactive before, um, in, in my career. And I think now too, it's what a lot of the younger photographers who are so much fun to work with, it's what they're so eager about. And you can kind of bring that knowledge to them and then they can bring their excitement to be with you. And it's such a wonderful marriage. And I think that that's what's been so great also in the last few years is all this new talents and even working with you, Quinn. I mean, when we first met and worked together, it's like this collaboration, like you're, you're trusting me, I'm trusting you. And then we're kind of telling each other what we think. And it's that collaboration, which is um, very different because it's so much more verbal and Absolutely. Well, also, I mean, when you're working with a model, especially one who's had a career like yours, they know their face. They know what looks good on them. They know what clothing, they know hair. It's like, so when I'm walking into that situation, I don't know it all. I'm going to absolutely like listen to you and hear what you have to say and maybe suggest a few things, but who would I be to come in and be like, you know what, I'm going to do something for you that you've never had before. It just yeah. is the way it works, you know? Oh, and, vi- and vice versa. I mean, I think when you and I, what I loved was that with the first time we worked together, like you innately, you knew where to go and you knew what to do. And I think that was, that was why I, we fell in love. At least I fell in love with you. I fell in love. You knew innately exactly what to do. And I really appreciate that. in a young artist who has taken the time to maybe, you know, go back and, and, and study, you know, a model's face and, and, you know, as a makeup artist, and then you kind of bring in what, you know, looks good. And, and it's, uh, again, it's that energy, it's that energy of excitement. It's not an ego based thing. It's just kind of like, wow, you actually 
you know, took the time to, to, to research. Well, yeah, I'm a big, I always wanted to work with you and I was a big fan. And then of course, when you hear that you're going to get booked, then you go online and you look at every image you can and say, okay, why is this so good? Why, what worked about that? I love that. It's palpable too. My favorite, one of my favorite red carpets I've ever done on anyone was with you for, um, an Estee Lauder. I think it was for, a. um, Len, was it Leonard Lauder? Uh, celebrating Leonard Lauder, yeah. And Tom Ford was hosting that. You looked uh, so good. Oh. Tell me about you've had a twenty-year-long beauty contract with Estee Lauder. Yeah, also another like huge milestone. What has that been like? Oh my gosh, it's still. You know, we've been celebrating because this marks the twenty years. So we've been kind of celebrating a bit more on social media and it still feels so surreal to me. It feels like a dream come true. And I almost, I I don't ever want to get too excited. Maybe that sounds kind of strange, but it's like, maybe I'm in a little bit of disbelief and I'm like, Oh my God, I, I don't want all this attention because, um, you know, there's that fear, you know, this is a whole psychological thing of like, Oh my God, it's going to be taken away from me. Yes. Um, but you know, again, that's part of it in, and I grew up with that brand. I grew up mesmerized by images of Paulina Porsakova. I grew up using, you know, my Nana's gold tubes of lipstick, stealing my mom's white linen perfume. I would, you know, get in trouble for, you know, using some of my mom's makeup. And I just remember going to the beauty counters and really aspiring to, to look like those images of Paulina, whatever she was doing. And, you know, it, the, there's a crazy story with that too, that when I first started testing in New York, um, kind of the latter part of high school in 1991, um, I met Paulina. She wanted to do a test on some girls and she actually chose me. And I went to Paulina Porsakova's house. I went to her townhouse that she lived in with Rick Ocasek. And I just remember going, what the hell? Like pinching myself. She was barefoot, pregnant, offered me a tomato and cheese sandwich and a cup of tea. Rick is like, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, this is not real. Like what is going on here in my life? Then she's sitting on the floor doing my makeup, her brother setting up the backdrop and she's taking pictures of me and all the makeup was Estee Lauder. And I was like, Oh my God. And I remember she gave me some of the Estee Lauder makeup. And I was like, I have arrived. Like I literally... I literally have like my own blush now, my own foundation. It was this blue tube of foundation with the, with the gold um, cap. And I was so excited. So again, growing up with it and then having that, that interaction with Paulina and, you know, using prescriptives and, and, and so when I tested for them, you know, almost 10 years later and a new baby, I was like, what the heck? you know, I, I didn't believe it. I was in disbelief. And then when my agent called me and said that they were signing me, I, I was just, I remember I had to pull my car over and I was screaming and crying at the same time. Oh while my, my God. While my newborns in the back seat, just leaving her pediatric appointment. Um, it was a, it's a dream come true and it's a dream come true still. So I'm very, very heartfelt in this relationship and they've supported me. 
um, in my career and it's been such a joy and it's not over. I'm still with them. Um, it's not the 20 year swan song. Um, and (laughs) I think some people were kind of under that impression. Um, but you know, they celebrate women of all ages and um, ethnicities. And I'm so proud to be a part of that family. And yes, going back to the red carpet look that we did for Leonard's event, I actually felt, I think that's probably one of the most beautiful I think I've ever felt on a red carpet. I think um, truthfully, the makeup, the hair, the dress, just everything was working. It did. And then uh, when you're a model and you hear that you've got an Estee Lauder contract, I mean, not only is it so prestigious, but also it's a bit of stability, right? Like it's like getting a contract as a freelance person. Like, you know, that you're going to have that regular income. 100%. And for me, the timing could not have been better. Um, not Not only was it monumental in my career and I felt like, wow, all that hard work right? Because I was so scrappy. I was such a nerd. I wasn't cool. I, when I, when I did commit to modeling, I worked hard. Um, and I often felt like, why is that famous supermodel showing up so late? It's so disrespectful. Why is that famous? Why is that one who's considered so great, not showing up at all? Or she's like, I had a really hard time with like, why is it that I'm so professional and I'm working my butt off and, you know, I'm still not where I want to be. So when I got that contract, it was kind of like, wow, my hard work and my professionalism and, and really has paid off. It was like, it was just like, I, I couldn't believe it, but it just made me feel so, um, proud. It made me feel so proud on a professional level, you know, the personal level I described. And then there was the professional and the stability having just, you know, nine 11 happened. My divorce happened. I was a single mom all of a sudden, and I had to take care of my daughter. Um, and I really did it by myself. There was no money coming from somebody else. There was no presence coming from that other person. I was on my own. And that contract afforded me to be the mother, the father, and the breadwinner. Wow. That's amazing. But I think what's more impressive is not only that you got the contract, but that you kept it for 20 years because that's where the professionalism being on time and being a pleasure to work with, that's 20 years. Because a lot of people get contracts bad behavior is not tolerated like it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't keep a contract like that if you're not um if you're not pleasant to work around because a big company like an Estee Lauder, they can hire somebody else. Yes, they can. You're always replaceable. I think that's the other thing I've I've known in my career is that you you are replaceable. There are so many other gorgeous young girls who have less bags under their eyes, good skin, maybe they're a few inches taller. Um, maybe owning your uniqueness, maybe, maybe that, I think that's something you develop, you know, again, I was saying earlier that I developed much later. It was like, owning my uniqueness, what I have to offer as a woman. And that's also what I love about this time right now 
is that we're really about celebrating women. Mm -hmm. And it's so wonderful to see, like, it's really just been this, um, this empowering, empowering time. And um, I think it's so important for brands now to, to hone in on that. Um, You know, if they're smart, obviously they're going to celebrate all ages, all shapes, all sizes, all colors. And it's been a wonderful transcendence in the industry to, to witness that and be a part of it. I might be the, I might be the, the kind of outcast minority in that way because of the blonde hair, blue eyed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that all American thing, you know, once I learned to embrace that and own it and celebrate my uniqueness, I think it, it, I think it created a next phase of my career. Do you have advice for um, comparing yourself to others? It's horrible. I still do it. I did it on a job not so long ago. Um, And it felt so icky. Um, It felt so, so icky. And it reminded me because I don't work so often these days. um, It reminded me of, it's like a trigger almost. And I had to like really talk to my adult self and say, that is a, that is a wound from your twenties and thirties is that comparison. That is a wound that, um, was ever present and it's, it's not going to serve you. It's not going to serve you. And I had to have a real dialogue with myself about that. Um, and it took a few days, um, leading up to the job during the job after the job. It's, it's normal. I think that's the part that we often, um, with anything in life, right. Is that mm-hmm. we beat ourselves up for having those thoughts or those feelings. And I think that we have to know that we're all the same at the end of the day. We all feel the same way. Do you have things that you do to protect yourself from that? Like, do you, do you shut off social media when you feel that way or, or, you know, um, well, social media, I, I take breaks and shut off just because, it's an added layer that I don't feel I'm, I'm very good at. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I have so much else going on. It's, it's not intuitive for me like it is this younger generation. Um, but I, I'm usually, I'm usually more excited and more happy for my girlfriends or other models, to be honest. That's why I know when that inner dialogue of comparison comes up, it's, it's not healthy. Um, Is it about something else? I I, I think it's the trigger. It's the trigger from, from being younger. It's Mm -hmm. it's, it's the trigger of what, what happened. I mean, when you're twenties, when you're in twenties, going back to that rejection and comparison, it's so real, right? The adult self, my adult self, is the opposite. My adult self wants to celebrate other women and wants to not compare and wants to celebrate individuality. Um, I think it's a younger self. I read that you um, said to your daughter, this is um, that a lot of what you see in magazines isn't real. If there's a zit, a bag, a little extra thigh, they'll be like, don't worry, we'll take care of that. Yeah. Um, How has it been being a mother and also trying, like, I imagine that when you have a kid, you want to protect them from everything that you ever felt that didn't serve you. Well, yes. I mean, you do want to protect your children, especially your daughters, right? Because you know what's out there. 
you know, the influences, the projections of what beauty is Mm -hmm. supposed to be. I mean, listen, I don't think it was easy for my daughter to grow up with a mother um, in, you know, uh, you know, as a, as a model and, and being, you know, told that, oh, you know, she looks so perfect, this, that, and the other. I think I probably made extra effort with her friends to downplay. Um, but she's the first to say that when I'm home, she, some, there was a time where she actually wished I was more of this kind of glamazon mom. Right. Um, she kind of would get annoyed that I wouldn't go out all the time and I wasn't dressing up all the time. And I think now she actually appreciates that I had that separation and that I would turn it off. Um, and I think for her, there was one moment where she was being, you know, asked if she wanted to model and she could have, and and I was so proud of her because I didn't hold the reins so tight. I gave her some boundaries at 16, 17, kind of the same boundaries my parents did. And I think after two tries and within two months, she was like, this is not for me. Mm. She just, she knew she had, she has that such strong sense of self that she's like, this is not for me. Um, but you know, I'm fortunate that she, she knows the real, the real me and, and, and the difference, but there's sometimes where you feel that pressure, you know, that pressure that you are, you're under the microscope that you are supposed to be perfect. Um, again, going back to my other model friends, um, that's part of the camaraderie is that, you know, I look at all of my other girlfriends and and none of us are perfect. Right. And the, the thing is like, I remember when I was an assistant, um, seeing supermodels in real life for the first time and just being like, oh, they do not look like they do in the in the glossy magazines or in the billboard. It's a transformation that happens on set and it's magical. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not what you think when you see a, a supermodel for the first time. At least, you know, yeah. editorial models, you know. Is there a weird like um uh, identity thing when you you see yourself looking so amazing in a photograph and then you look at yourself, you know, in the mirror in the morning, is it like, Oh, I'm not that person. Uh, No, no. I mean, I get where you're going with that, but no, I think because I'm looking at myself every day, right. right? More than the other. It it would be the flip. I I actually would flip it and say, when I see that picture, I'm like, Oh my God, I look amazing there. Woo. You know, it's not, um, no, because I think I'm, I'm looking at myself the other, you know, every day. And I know that that image took a lot of work and magic to get there, right? Lighting, right. makeup, it's a team effort. If anything, I just love, I'm like, wow, dang, they made me look good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you spend a lot of time like doing physical labor, like by choice, like you are so into gardening, um, doing things around your house. Why are you doing that? Why don't you just pay someone to do those things for you? (laughs) (laughs) Coming from someone really lazy. I love you for that. What's the point? Because you know my 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 design. Like I'm such a. um, What's the point? The point is, is I have to have other things to do. Right. I can't just like. I can't just model. It would drive me insane if that was my be all end all. It's, I love creativity. If I, 
I love like yesterday, in fact, I have a whole hillside that I've got to like weed. And somebody said that to me yesterday. I was like, or no, the gardener was like, why don't you just let me do the weed whacker? And I said, no, this is my catharsis. This is my, this is, this is what helps me take ground me. This is what help what this is my creativity. It's like, why does anybody garden? They love it. It makes them feel good to get their hands dirty, to be in the, in the fresh air, um, you know, moving furniture and, you know, constantly rearranging the house and decorating is my creative outlet. It's my sanctuary, you know, um, you know, it, it, it's just, I, I love doing those things. It's, it's like my, those are my checkout points. Right. Yeah. And right. You, you really enjoy it. You enjoy like weeding. I love weeding as, oh. as weird as it sounds. I love weeding. I love planting. I maybe because it's ancestral too, because I come from a farming family. Like oh. my, my family's farm, they, they're still there. It, they, we've had it since the late 1800s. It's in Virginia. I've got my aunties and uncles that still live on a couple thousand acres and they're all spread out. I mean, they're not doing the manual labor, but I just think I grew up going to my family's farm and then my grandparents, they also had another house and like we would have to work in the garden at their other house in Lexington. And we would complain about having to pick the beans and plant, but those are the things that help develop who I am. So I would complain when I was younger, but now those are the things that I love, right? Um, my Nana loved, you know, decorating her houses and I would always get so excited when I would see something new or my Nana was also an artist and her mother was an incredible painter. So all of those, all of those things influenced me. We had a book club. Um, I mean, I just, that's just all of who I am, I guess. And I, I love it. So fun. You were chosen to represent Calvin Klein perfume called Contradiction. And I was like, I think you are a contradiction. And really? In a positive way. In a, I, I think, well. I'm curious about contradictions, you think. They're there. I think, you know, like working with your hands in the garden and then being dressed up in, you know, a couture <laughs> is a contradiction. True. Or like being on a surfboard and then also like being in Paris with, you know, having dinner with fashion elite is a there's, contradiction. You're right. And there's no in between there. For me, it's like, I either want to go camping or stay in the four seasons. <laughs> um, it, and I think it's, I think it's like the, 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 I have this fear of the mundane. I have the fear of like the, just the everyday, um, that probably, yeah, you're right. There is contradiction there. And my grandmother was a great example of that because she was city and country. She was, she was to all about like when she was in DC, she had her red, her gold tubes and red lipstick. She'd get her hair done and she was very dressed. But then when she would check out and go to their country house, she had on her little kid sneakers and her jeans and like a great kind of Jackie O t-shirt and her gloves and was in the garden all day. Um, and so I just worshiped her and I was like, that's the life I want. I want, I want to be, I want that duality. I want to have both. It sounds, it's really modern too, you know? It's very modern. She was so, she was so, so modern in that way. It's like, why not? If you can. The last thing I wanted to touch is because I know you are a very spiritual person and you've kind of talked, uh, touched on uh, meditation and things like that. What brought you to want to explore that side of your personality? 
or being? Well, you know, I was raised around it. My mother um, was really into spirituality because I I was born in 1973. Again, contrary to what people read online. Um, I was born in 1973. So the 70s, you know, still at that time, I was too young to know, but like mid late 70s, my mother was really into Muktananda. And she was really into yoga. And she was really into like health foods and organics. And I'm so grateful for that, because it influenced me and it it was there. So in my in my early 20s, when I was living in New York, I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is so intense. And like, I can't live the life of champagne dreams and late nights. It doesn't work for my body. Like this is not, this isn't, I don't feel good. So I embarked along with a few other people in the industry, a couple of other hairdressers and and makeup artists and models, you know, but it was really, you know, kind of individuated when I first started. And then we kind of how somehow naturally all came together. So in 1994, 95, I was introduced to this woman who was doing chakra balancing. And I also was living in the meatpacking district. So I was like, oh my God, I'm never eating eating meat again. (laughs) You needed the chakra balance. Yeah. I was like chakra balancing, became a vegetarian, read many lives, many masters. And it became a quest of survival for me. How can I, how can I live in New York? How can I do this job? So I was drinking lemon water and taking probiotics in 1995. And I was a vegetarian and I was doing spiritual work and I was seeking those journeys. I was going to Mexico and swimming with dolphins. I was traveling to temples. So I had a whole other life outside the fashion industry with my nerdy Columbia NYU professor friends and in archaeologists and anthropologists. And then I had my spiritual group. So I was it was something I really sought out to, to kind of survive and, and to stay um, doing my job and create a balance. Do you accept that there has to be a certain amount of suffering in life? You know, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast on that um, the other day, and that's a, it's such a Buddhist thing, right? Yes. There has to be suffering. Um, I don't agree with that. I think you don't really have a choice so much when you're young and you have your family unit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you leave your home and you get you go out on your own, I think we're conditioned to think that we have to suffer, right? If I just work harder and I work harder and you know, I just gotta persevere, then I'm gonna have everything I want and I'm gonna get there, right? I think it's a really not great way to think. I've done it, I was raised that way. Um, I catch myself still doing it, but I'm at a place in life right now where I'm like, no, no more. I, I'm going to, it's, it's, it's my choice to suffer or to not suffer. Um, I can choose acceptance. I can choose to go with the flow. Um, I can choose to release control. You know, these are all of the things, these are all the things. And, and especially right now, during the time that we're in, it's kind of made me think about that a lot more. Um, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it isn't always a choice, right? But it is a choice how we choose to react to something. I am so glad I asked that because I'm going to have to think about everything you said. I agree. I think. Does that make sense? Know, 
It it does because actually it's a choice, you know. Yeah, especially after COVID, even now things come up that seem like they are too hard to handle or, you know, an inconvenience and it's a muscle memory to go, okay, well, it's not that bad or, you know, it will get through this and just to kind of reframe how you're looking at a situation, but it's not easy. It's not easy right now. We've been in such a void of unknown and overwhelm, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, we've all handled it in our own way, but we're definitely going to have post-traumatic from this. This is whether you've lost a loved one, a friend directly, which I think we all have. Um, And there's so much motion around it. And it's kind of a reminder that life is short in a way to make, make your mind up. How am I going to live today? How am I going to, how am I going to choose to, to have my perception and my outlook? And we're constantly being tested. We're constantly being tested and it's not always easy. I'm not going to say it's unicorns and rainbows, especially in my head. Right. (laughs) Um, we all have chatter. Is that what the meditation helps you with? Yeah. Yeah. How often do you meditate? Um, I, I was the beginning of COVID. I was meditating twice a day. Um, I, I, then I kind of dropped down to once a day. Then I wasn't meditating at all, but it affects everything. Then I noticed I wasn't sleeping great again. Um, I had monkey mind, I had anxiety and really it's the only thing that works. And, And if I, if I don't devote time to meditation, I'll at least do check-ins where I take a few minutes to breathe and I'll, I'll breathe like to the count of five, I'll breathe in. Sometimes I'll hold it for five and release it for the count of five. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll just breathe in for five seconds and then release it for five seconds. But doing those simple check-ins because we forget to breathe and we forget to just kind of like inhale and exhale. And that simple pranayama is so important. The breath of life. Carolyn, if you could go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, where and when would it be? And what would you say to yourself? Wow, that is a great question. Now I wish I would have looked ahead at these. Um, (laughs) um, There are so many times where I wish I could meet myself again. Truthfully, um, you know, little girl, you know, maybe tell myself, you know, don't stress about this, that, and the other. It's, you know, you're going to get out of here. You're going to have choices. Um, the young teen, the girl in the twenties. Um, if I had to choose one, I would go back maybe to that girl in her early twenties and, and just say, um, enjoy, enjoy. Um, which I kind of did. So I'm kind of trying to think now what I would say. That's a really good question, Quinn. I might have to think about that a think little bit. Think about more. it. Yeah. Okay. Do you have time for a real quick game we can play to wrap this up? Um, yeah, let's- this is, have you ever watched Inside the Actor's Studio? Yes. Oh yeah. my God. I, do you know I was supposed to go on that at one point? No after- way. 
after I did Liberty Heights, after I did the film. But I, again, I was like, this is too much for me. I got to go run and hide. <laughs> so you're like, I'm going to go surfing in Costa Rica. Oh, so that, okay. So that's my thing. I would go back when I did the film and when, it, when everything was happening at once and I would put my hands on my hips and I would say, so my Nana called me Lina Bell. I'd say, Lina Bell, stay on that train and keep going for it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You'll be able to do it all. Okay. So that, that's there, great. We, we answered that's that. That's great. That's and and yes, okay. So yes, Line let's go. Bell. I'm Line just I'm jacking his questions at the end of the show. Um, okay. Okay. So here we go. What is your favorite word? Peace. What is your least favorite word? Angry. What turns you on? Flowers. What turns you off? Dishonesty. What sound or noise do you love? Birds. What sound or noise do you hate? Leaf blowers. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? Uh, damn it to hell. Ooh. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Anthropologist. What profession would you not like to do? Dentist. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I love you. <laughs> and speaking, but the, I lied. Speaking of love, are you open to dating or is that something that you are into right now? I mean, oh, after COVID? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've actually been dating. It's been so much fun. Really? Yes. It's been so much fun. You know, I, I, yeah. It's different. It's different, but it's fun. (laughs) Um, I was never not open to dating. I, um, I've had some wonderful relationships over the years. I'm at a place in my life right now where I, um, you know, my daughter's older. So I kind of like, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Who am I going to sit on the porch with? You can almost think about yourself again more, right? Like be more exactly. self-centered in a good way. Yes, in a good way, which I found a little I find a little hard to do and 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 I've been accused in the years by by other men who would say, "Oh, she's just so into her daughter." Oh, oh okay. All right, that's my job. Well, it's um, a good thing, right? It's a really good thing. So, yeah, I I I need to meet a man who inspires me for sure. You know, somebody who inspires me, somebody who has a reverence for nature and animals and who, um, you know, is funny. Maybe I'm adding all this in here just in case somebody's listening. Yeah, I know. We're going to find him for you. Um, but, you know, I'm not into the fancy stuff, you know, to be honest. I, I really, you know, for me, I, I got to be intellectually stimulated and, and challenged. Um, he's out there. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. I just... I loved you from the day we met and I just really appreciate you uh, coming on my little old podcast. And it's so good to talk to you. And I love, um, I just loved hearing everything you had to say. Well, I love talking to you too. The only thing that I wish is that we were physically together. I know. And and the other wish that I have is that you were um, actually touching my face and doing my makeup. I wish there was, there was an event or something. Too. I feel it coming though. I think with the vaccine and everybody, you know, I, I, I think yeah. it's going to happen soon. I think so too. In the meantime, maybe we could do a tutorial together. I would love that. I would love that. 
Me too. Let's recreate that look from that night. Totally. Ugh, heaven. Thank you, Quinn. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.